I invite you to take your Bible and join me in the book of James, James chapter 1. We're not beginning a new study in the book of James today. We're popping in for one week, James chapter 1. Uh, while you're headed there, I'll just let you know what, how we're going to spend our time uh, in the Word for the rest of the month of August. Um, um, next Sunday, we're going to spend some time with um, our friend Elijah at the cave, First Kings. Following that, so last two Sundays of August, we're going to spend some time talking about what it looks like for us to live in community with each other. We'll be introducing or reintroducing uh, community groups uh, to Prairie Hill, the um, last Sunday of August and the Sunday right before that. So the preaching is going to follow along with that same theme. What does it look like for us to live in community with each other? By that time, we'll be at Labor Day weekend, and uh, shortly after that, we'll begin uh, the book of Jonah and spend um, most of September and October in that wonderful little book. Um, But today, and then next Sunday, really the, the overriding theme will be how do we deal with difficult circumstances in life? I think that's always something that is a, a front burner issue for us. So um, James is going to help us with that today. We're going to get help from the life of Elijah next week. And we'll take a couple of Sundays here, the beginning of August, to let the word form us in how to handle difficulty. All right? One of the interesting but difficult things about the word of God is that we are called to have a positive response, even a thankful and joyful response when life's circumstances are hard. And we're in the passage today that really brings that idea forward. And so the question on our minds is, can I rise to that kind of response, the response that God's word puts before me? Can I rise to that response when life is hard for me? That idea is on the forefront of James' mind as he sits down and takes up his pen to write his letter. That's the very first thing that he wants to talk about, is letting the church know, here's how you're to handle it when circumstances are difficult. And he sets something pretty difficult before us. So we're going to look into that today and pray Um, that God would enable us by the Holy Spirit to respond in the way that he calls us to. All right, it's a familiar passage. Um, Let's stand for the reading of the passage and then we'll pray and we'll get into it, okay? James 1, verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And Father, we submit ourselves to you in these moments. Uh, We pray for uh, humility 
in our hearts to receive the word, to receive the message that the Holy Spirit poured through this faithful writer, James. And I, I pray especially for those who this morning really are experiencing a difficult trial and see these words in the scriptures about counting it all joy and just think, that's impossible. That just can't happen in my life. I pray especially for them that you would be good to them this morning, that you would reveal something beautiful about yourself and how near you are to them and to us in all of the afflictions that we face. So, Father, please be good and give your people good gifts this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, please be seated. Well, it's going to get a little bit hard, but let's start by thinking about one of our favorite things, okay? Let's start with something really, really happy and positive. Let's think about one of our favorite things from childhood, getting presents. Is there anything better when you are young than getting a present? I know there wasn't for me. That's about as good as it gets. Maybe it's still really exciting for you, receiving a gift. Or maybe you're one of those people who just assume not receive a gift because there's the pressure of opening it in front of somebody and having the appropriate response, and you get all these emotions going on, and so no thank you. But at least when we're young, it's so exciting to get a gift, Now, sometimes we receive a particular gift because the person giving the gift to us knows that we're really going to love it. Sometimes that's the reason why we receive a gift, because it's something that we love and that we're really hoping for. And that's wonderful when that happens, isn't it? On the other hand, we receive a particular gift sometimes because it's something that we need My grandmother was that kind of a gift giver. Anyone else have a grandmother like that? That whenever you received that gift from her, you knew it was going to be something that you needed. That's the kind of gift that we're talking about today in this sermon. Receiving something that we need. A need-based gift. And in verse 4, James uncovers a need that we have. He lets us know that when we've come to faith in Christ, there can still be a way in which we're needy. We see that in verse four. Look again at verse four. That you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So he raises the possibility here that it's possible for us to lack something in the Christian life. It's possible to be a Christian, even for a long time, and yet not be fully formed. We can still have a lack. And that the thing that we can lack, according to verse 4, is this quality, steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, incomplete, and lacking in nothing. So, Even if you've been a Christ follower for a long time, I think the chances are good that you would still admit to 
not being fully formed. You readily admit to, you know, there's some things that I don't have that I probably should have. Maybe for you, it's discipline. Maybe it's humility. Maybe it's that you know you should be more hospitable and you just haven't developed that yet. You know that hospitality is something that you lack. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe for you, it's something else. But probably we don't lay in bed at night and think about how we're lacking in steadfastness. At least I don't. I know I've been at the end of the day laying in bed and thinking, boy, I sure lacked discipline today. Or I sure lacked humility today. Or something else. But I don't remember ever getting to the end of the day and thinking, where was my steadfastness today? Where was my endurance? So James is uncovering an area of need that we just don't think about. He's alerting us to a need that we may not even know that we have. And he not only uncovers our need here, he also alerts us to the gift that we're given that's going to supply our need. Now, the thing that he names doesn't sound like a gift, The gift I'm talking about is found in verse 2. Trials of various kinds. And now you see why I've given this sermon the title, Thank You for the Gift That I Didn't Want. It's not uncommon at the Brant house to see Wish lists lying on the counter around Christmas time and birthday time. I've looked at a lot of those lists over the years, and I don't ever recall seeing trials on any of those wish lists. I've seen some really strange things, and I was tempted this morning to name some of those things. I am resisting that temptation. I'm just letting you know, I've never seen anyone write trials on their wish list. None of us ask for that kind of a gift. But that's what James is presenting to us as the gift that's going to meet this need that we have for steadfastness. How are we going to develop steadfastness? Well, it's this thing called trials of various kinds. So you were, you were on my mind this week as I prepared. You, the congregation of Prairie Hill, were on my mind just thinking about what kinds of trials are present in your lives right now. And I know about some of them. I don't know about all of them. I know some of them are job-related. I know that we have physical trials of every kind. I know that there are all kinds of relational trials that you're going through. I wonder what your particular trial is this morning. You may have multiple trials going on right now. James indicates in verse 3 that the trials he's talking about are events that test our faith. For you know that the testing 
of your faith. So do you see what he's done there? He's talking about trials of various kinds and then he's equating that with the testing of your faith. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith. So that's what's going on in these trials of various kinds. So in your present trial, so think about the thing you're going through right now that's hard for you. The basic question is, how are you responding to it? Are you responding in faith or are you turning to something else as a response? You know, there are all kinds of things that we can turn to as a response when we go through a trial. We can turn to sin. We can turn to anger and bitterness. We can turn to doubt. What are you turning to right now? Will you be like the wandering Israelites? Will you and I be like the wandering Israelites who when they went through a trial of their faith, they turned to sin and rebellion instead of turning to faith in God? Will that be us or will we respond in faith? So these trials are faith-testing situations and we all have them. And we're calling these a gift because they supply something that we lack. And it's so hard for us to view these as gifts. They're not the gifts that we want from God, are they? Think about the gifts that you and I want from God. What we want from God are wonderful, sweet, quiet, profound times of study in the word. We love to receive that gift. We love to receive the gift of answered prayer. We love to receive the gift of a successful witnessing event and someone coming to Christ. We love that gift. We love the gift of bread on the table. We love the gift of friendship and fellowship. Those are the gifts that we want from God. And it's okay to ask him for those gifts. But God is so good that he even gives us the gifts that we didn't ask for and that we don't want because The gift is good. Now let's find out how they're good. What is the benefit of these trials that James is talking about? We've talked about what the gift is. The gift is trials. Now let's talk about the benefits of the gift. The prized attribute that's named here is steadfastness. It's named twice. End of verse three, beginning of verse four. That's what James is holding up for us as the great benefit of the trials. The development of this quality called steadfastness. If you have the New American Standard, you have endurance in front of you there. Not steadfastness, but endurance. If you have the NIV, you've got perseverance there in front of you. 
If you have the King James in front of you, you've got the word patience. Isn't that amazing? So all these different translations, steadfastness, endurance, perseverance, also patience. Patience is probably not the best word choice in English for this word. Because really the word means much more than just patience. Because when we hear hear the word patient, we're likely just to think about a scenario where a guy is waiting for a phone call and he's having to exercise patience because he's frustrated that this important phone call isn't coming through. So drumming the fingers and just being patient and waiting for the phone call. Okay, that's not the idea behind the word. The idea is much more than that. The appropriate word picture is a man waiting for a phone call and while he's waiting for the phone call, he's holding over his head a 300-pound dumbbell and he can't put it down until the phone rings, okay? That's the idea. That he's suffering under this heavy load and I can't set it down, I'm, I'm waiting. That's what the Greek word literally means, remaining underneath a load. Hupamone, remaining underneath. Doing something hard. Some of you know exactly what that feels like right now. You are that person trying to hold that weight, that huge weight over your head and wondering when is this going to end. That's the idea. Steadfastness. That's the prized attribute, Christian. The ability to remain underneath a load, even under tremendous pressure to abandon your faith in God because it's been so long and you just don't see him working. And are you gonna remain there and continue in faith? Now let's ask this question. Why should the prized attribute be steadfastness in faith? Why is that so important? Why does God want us to have that? Why not, why not great power in faith? Why isn't that the thing that he directs us to? Power like a sprinter to have faith in great bursts to do amazing things. What's so important about endurance in faith, the ability to continue to persevere and trust God even under a heavy burden? Well, I think you've probably noticed this in in your life. I believe that in our lives, most of the time, if not all the time, God is working along the lines of helping us understand what it's like to be him. Most of the time, if not all the time in our lives, God is working along the lines of helping you understand what it's like to be him. I'll give you some examples. God loves sinful people. God loves sinners. Are you being called right now to continue to love someone 
who is sinning against you repeatedly? Do you know from experience what it's like to keep loving a sinful person? I'm sure you've got people like that in your life. I mean, everyone is a sinful person. But we have those relationships that are really hard because we really feel the challenge of continuing to love this person who's sinning against us. And when you do that, when you realize the difficulty of that, you learn something about God, don't you? You learn something about what it's like to love a sinner. And that's what God does. And we call something like that a trial, don't we? We think, oh my goodness, this trial of having to keep love this person, this is a trial. But all the while we're learning about the life of God, aren't we? Okay, here's another one. God in the person of Jesus Christ knows what it's like to suffer as someone who's innocent. Some of you are paying a price right now in terms of affliction and persecution, and you haven't done anything wrong. As a matter of fact, you've done everything right. And you are paying a price for having done everything right. You're suffering for it. And we call it a trial, don't we? It feels hard. We call it a trial. But all the while, we're learning what it's like to be God. Christ suffered as one who was innocent. Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, suffered as one who was innocent. David suffered as one who was innocent. And now you church member, New Testament believer, know the experience of suffering as one who is innocent. And we call it a trial, and it's hard, but all the while, we're learning what it's like to be God, to live the life that God has. God is always working along these lines in our lives of helping you understand what it's like to be him. And relevant to this passage, he wants us to know what it's like to patiently endure. When we go to Romans chapter 9, we find out that we are not the only ones who patiently endure. Paul writing in Romans 9 This is what he writes about the life of God there. Paul writes, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? I'll read that one more time. Paul writing in Romans 9, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Do you know what that means? That means that God is right now patiently enduring the blasphemy of his own person. Have you ever thought about that? 
how God is not receiving his due, what he is owed from his creation. Not only is he not receiving the honor that is due his name, he is receiving the blasphemy of his name continually. And he is patiently enduring it. He not only has the power to put it to an immediate end, but also the right to put it to an immediate end by virtue of being the creator of everything and the owner of everything. But instead of putting it to an immediate end, he stays his hand and he endures it instead of ending it. Did you know that God himself is patiently enduring right now? Why is he doing that? Because according to the verse that we just read in Romans 9, there there is within the personhood of God a, a disciplined determination that values the display of his own attributes more than an immediate redressing of wrongs. God values more the display of his glorious attributes than immediately redressing the wrongs being done to him. God desires to show his wrath and his power. Therefore, he exhibits steadfast endurance, patience, instead of an immediate striking down. Patient endurance or steadfastness is part of the life of God. It is part of what it means to be God. And who would have guessed that it would be? Who would ever think that an all-powerful God would voluntarily submit to having to be steadfast and endure? But he has. (laughs) Being God means patient endurance of what ought not be. That's part of his eternal life. By his own determination, he has determined to know what it's like to be steadfast and patiently endure. He's determined to know that component of life. This is the God that we worship. He's completely other than us. Just pause for a moment and worship God in your heart and give him glory because he is so different than us. We would never make that decision. Humans don't do that. If you give a human being absolute power, absolute sovereign power, all dissension will be dealt with immediately. We will not endure what we don't have to endure. You give someone absolute power and they will cut off everything that doesn't serve their purpose. They'll deal with it immediately. And yet God, the creator, the sovereign, has determined to know and exercise perseverance. Who would ever dream up a God like that? This is the God who is, a God who patiently endures. And so as the years roll by and Christ does not return and another year goes by and Christ has not returned yet, This all accrues to the greater worship and adoration for this God who patiently endures what we would never endure. 
he remains faithful to his own character in the display of his glorious attributes. And therefore, since we as his people enter into that eternal life that is the gift of God, eternal life, a participation in the life of God, a knowledge of the God who is, as we enter into that same eternal life through Christ, we are not complete, we are not perfect without this attribute also called steadfastness. We are not like him. We do not reflect him without patient endurance. And how are we to develop that? Unless we're given trials, unless we're continuously tested. So I ask you, are you trying to patiently endure what ought not be? Receiving hate in return for love, suffering innocently, being misunderstood. If you are, God is showing you what it's like to be him. Are you grateful? Here's what I'm really asking Do you value the opportunity to find out what the life of God is like? Have you valued eternal life, a greater knowledge of who God is? Let's try to put a point of practical application on this second point. In the midst of the trial that you're facing right now, here's the practical application. I'm asking something really, really hard of you now on the basis of this text. In the midst of the trial that you're facing right now, value something more than the end of the trial. The end of the trial is what we feel like is the great prize that this would be over. Value something more than the end of the trial. Value the knowledge of God that you gain in the process. James' counsel to us in verse 4 is basically stand back. Let steadfastness have its full effect on you. In other words, don't try to short circuit the process. Take from it all that you can. And let me just tell you as, as an aside that you will never find your Bible more alive to you than when you're going through something hard. You'll never find the scriptures more meaningful to you than when you read the scriptures while you're going through something hard. And that's because so many of the scriptures were written by, by people who were going through something really hard. And they're talking to God about it. And they're saying some really hard things to God about it. Most of the Psalms are along those lines. 
and you will find the scriptures come alive to you. And never forget that the gift of God is eternal life. And eternal life means knowing God, John 17. And today we learn that one of the ways that happens, as much as we don't like it, as much as we fight against it, one of the ways that happens, this greater knowledge of God, is having to exercise this attribute called steadfastness and remaining under a load in the midst of your trial. Now, we can't conclude this little study without mentioning James' famous exhortation in verse 2. Count it all joy. That's the response that he's working for in us. That we count this opportunity to know God through trials as an occasion for joy. That's not our natural response. Um, I don't think there's ever going to come a time in our lives when we don't need James 1, 2 preached to us. I don't think this will ever be our natural response. At least I don't think that for myself, that I'll get to the point where I don't need James 1, 2 preached to me. Count it all joy. Count it all joy, he writes. So he's asking a really hard thing of us. So I set this before you and ask you, would this be possible for you today to say to God, thank you, Could you say to God, thank you for the gift of this trial that I did not want? And here are four things to thank God for in the midst of trials. These are very brief. Four things to thank God for in the midst of trials. Number one, thank you for showing me in your word that this trial is a door by which I enter eternal life. Thank you for showing me in your word that this trial is a door by which I enter eternal life. A truer and fuller knowledge of who you are. That's what this trial is doing for me and can do for me. Thank you for that. Thank you for showing me in your word that this trial is a door by which I know you better. Second thing, thank you for showing me in your word that this is a door that Christ himself entered. I I have not entered this door alone. Christ has gone before me. Thank you for showing me in your word that Christ himself has entered this door. And that however, however difficult my trials and afflictions may be, they will never match or equal the trials and afflictions of Christ. We may suffer somewhat innocently. Christ suffered completely innocently. And we may be tempted severely, but we will never be tempted to the extent that Christ was tempted. He was tempted alone in the wilderness by Satan himself. Whatever we experience, Christ has gone before and Christ has endured more. Number three, thank you for showing me in your word that these trials that I face are not without purpose. They're not random. They're not meaningless. 
They are instruments by which you make me complete. The trial that you're facing right now is not meaningless. It's not random. It's a gift by which God is making you complete. And fourth, thank you for showing me in your word that these trials will not last forever. They will end. Thank you for showing me in your word that these trials will not last forever. That though we do enter heaven through many tribulations, someday we will indeed enter heaven and know God without the mediation of pain. One day we will know God without the mediation of pain. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we say thank you, Father. Amen. Father, these are such hard things. And we just say to you that we believe and we have faith and we pray that you would increase our faith. We humble ourselves completely before you and say we just don't often understand Thank you that our trials are not meaningless and random. We pray for the greatest gift that we could ask for, a truer knowledge, a fuller knowledge of who you are. We do believe that that is the best thing. Help us, Father, in our weakness and in our unbelief. We cast ourselves on Jesus who has gone before us, and we pray in his beautiful name. Amen.